Last Sunday, there were elections in Turkey. As you shall see, they are far from over, and there will be a second round on May the 28th. Now let's have a look at this trollish tweet. Erdogan wins the Turkish elections receiving 110% of the votes. See, that kind of guy is he. Is he um, yeah. known for not being, uh, what's the word? I don't want to get us in trouble with YouTube because I know there are certain phrases that it will not allow, but it doesn't seem like he's he's someone who's inclined to play fair, if that's uh, I don't know. That's being the, joked about. That is the big if of every election, but I'm going to proceed on the assumption that uh, the elections and the results have been uh, fair. So um, if you want to see people who lack humor, you can just check the replies, people who didn't get the joke. Now let's... Let's go on the next video, please, and hear about the results of the first round. And faces a second round in Turkey's presidential election. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has 49.41%. His main rival, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu, has nearly 45%. With the results down to the wire, the electoral campaigns are heating up. Milletimize önümüzdeki beş yıl boyunca hizmet etmeyi sürdüreceğimize yürekten inanıyoruz. Erdogan. Bütün iftira ve hakaretlerine rağmen beklediği sonucu alamamıştır. As voters grapple with inflation at 44% and ongoing currency crises, will the economy be the election's deciding factor? Okay, so we have the Erdogan's party that mm -hmm. is called the AKP. It's called the Justice and Development Party. And they're the, the ruling party, aren't they? Yes, and he's ruling for about 20 years. Um, we will say a bit in a minute about his uh, trajectory. Then we have the CHP party by Kilizaroglu. It's the People's Republican Party. And we have the third contestant called o Oran, who got around 5%. And uh, the fourth contestant, as I say, that uh, left. So the thing is that in order for uh, the Turks to elect uh, a president, they need at least 50%. The question is, what's going to happen now with the threshold? Uh, and Erdogan is close to 49.4%. Kilizaroglu is close to 45 And the thing is that most people think that, obviously, uh, the gap that uh, separates Erdogan from 50% is too small. And mm -hmm. also, Oran has uh, some ties with, is a bit closer ideologically to Erdogan. He did say, from what research I did, that he would support Kilizaroglu if the latter was going to revoke his sort of, let's say, uh, preferential, not preferential treatment, he, he, he thinks that Kilizaroglu is very uh, good to the Kurds, and Ogan is against that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems that Erdogan is going to win on the, on the 28th of May. Now, the thing to note about these elections is that the polls seem to give, they seem to have been uh, given a a lead to Kilizaroglu, and that didn't uh, happen in the elections. And most people, it seems that uh, Kilizaroglu was um, supported in urban areas, and Erdogan uh, won the votes of rural areas. That's a, a trend that we've seen in lots of countries, isn't it? That the, the split in the countries between urban and rural. Yes. It, even in Turkey. We see this also there, but the difference here uh, with uh, this case is that it is the ruling party who won the votes of, of the of the urban areas, of the of the rural areas, not the the other way around. Mm -hmm. Okay, now 
The main thing that uh, is uh, an issue with uh, Turkey is Turkish economy. And uh, it's, as, as the video said, it, it, is, it has uh, very high degrees of inflation. Speaking of inflation, you can check our website with only five pounds per month. You can have access to all our premium content and watch videos such as Brokenomics 2, Inflation, The Greatest Lie by Dan. Um, we had a chat with Dan about um, this yesterday, and uh, as always, he has really good things to say. Now, let's go and have a look at the contestants. We will start a bit with Kilizaroglu because he is, the, he is not uh, ruling Turkey for 20 years, and we will focus afterwards on Erdogan in order to show why these elections are really important. Now, I'm, I'm going to say some things about from this article that was published on The Guardian. So he was a former civil servant and ex-accountant. He's the opposition leader who has the Republican People's Party. And um, he's a member of Turkey's Alevi religious minority. His candidacy is considered boundary breaking. His ascent to presidential candidate has taken decades, galvanized through a 450 kilometer march from Ankara to I to Constantinople in 2017 to protest against arrests following a 2016 attempt at a coup. I see what you did there. Yeah. Changed it from Istanbul to Constantinople. I respect that. The opposition leader holds a narrow lead in the polls, which suggests the vote may advance to a second round later in the month. Now, you see, that was before the result. So, for instance, Guardian was giving Kilizaroglu a lead. Kilizaroglu has promised a return to orthodox economic policies. You will see that in a bit why that is. And to spearhead a return to parliamentary democracy. He has also pledged to restore judicial independence, a move away from using the judiciary to crack down on dissent. So the thing is that um, there are many Turks who are not very happy with Erdogan because he's 20 years plus in power. He was elected as a mayor of Constantinople in 1998. Then in 2002, he was elected uh, as a prime minister. He was a prime minister for two terms. That was around 10 years. And then he couldn't be elected for a third term. And that was when Tur Turkey basically be uh, switched to a presidential system, and he is the president of Turkey ever since. And what we should remember in order to understand the trajectory of his, of his rule is that in the first 10 years, he was hailed by Western countries as a paradigm of Islamic democracy. He was seen as a somehow someone who was going to bring democracy to that region, and they hoped that Turkey was going to be a role model for other countries in Asia. I was just going to say that, well, Islam has a very dim view of democracy in that it doesn't believe in it. As yeah. Obviously, Islam doesn't believe stuff because it's a, it's a belief system in and of itself, but it directly advocates for um, more centralized control, yes. ruling an individual. And I, um, I think that this, this was a political game. It was more like a diplomatic move in favor mm -hmm. of him. Uh, let's just have Turkey on our side. That was the main uh, motto. And uh, I, I don't know if uh, people who were in diplomacy there or who were involved in the politics behind it uh, viewed it this way, but I, I think that uh, history has proven you correct. After about 10 years, he started showing signs of being a bit more, let's say, authoritarian. And after the attempt at a coup in, in July the 20, 2016, he, uh, 
he became a bit more authoritarian. He had the excuse that people tried to kill me and my regime, so everything I'm doing is uh, being done because it's a state of emergency. But the thing is that the state of emergency seems to have lasted ever since. Oh, that's funny, isn't it? It's almost like a, an, an iron law of politics that whenever there are emergency laws passed, mysteriously, they remain on the books long after a so-called emergency disappears. I mean, yes. I'm looking at you, Patriot Act in the United States. Yeah, so we never we never know exactly, but it seems that um, he what he's doing is that on the one hand, he has a really... He, his economy does not show signs of great inflation and simultaneously a sort of uh, high growth. This is uh, something that makes uh, Turkey very interesting for economists. Um, many people don't think that this is sustainable. And uh, one thing is that I constantly, in, this is another feature of uh, talks about election, is that when I was talking to people who are involved in the final financial sector, they constantly view things from an economic perspective. And I have heard for at least five years now, Erdogan has just a year. Erdogan has just one year. It's well, the, people were doing the same thing with China. And yeah. I, I pointed out when I talked about the Chinese economy that the, the, the Chinese are aware that there are problems. It's not like they just walk in blindly. Just yeah. by you identifying the problem doesn't mean um, that the people governing the country are oblivious to it. Yes. It might just be that you know they've had different priorities and eventually they're going to do something about it because people generally speaking when they identify a problem in the political system or politics in general they project it to continue because sometimes you know problems do just go unsolved um say grooming gangs in the uk um however that's not always the case and particularly when it comes to the economy um when politicians want to enrich themselves there's a, a vested interest in uh keeping the economy going so they tend to pay attention to those things far more and Ex exactly and this is what is an issue with uh, turkey in the last years is that his authoritarian rule seems to have a kind of conceit with respect to the economy so when he faced when he faced high inflation he blamed uh, high interest rates so he slashed interest rates because he had a populist rhetoric that no, the high interest rates are harming the people because they cannot get loans. So he sacked three central bankers. And this is something that is different from other worlds because from, from other countries because the central banking system is supposed to be independent precisely because there is an incentive for politicians before elections to, use, to give uh, money for uh, lower interest rates, which causes more inflation. So the thing is that he didn't take the advice that the economists gave him. And as I said before, uh, just a minute ago, he sacked three central bankers. You should have abolished the central bank and then all of a sudden inflation would disappear. It's, it's great. The thing is also, and there is another thing why it's uh, really interesting uh, because there's a question as to whether the Turkish people are fine with his author authoritarian rule or, or not. He seems to go to reinvigorate a rhetoric that the, the modern secular Turkish state ever since 1922 that was based on uh, Kemal Ataturk. He seems to say that this is a, was a bad move and he wants to reinvigorate a rhetoric that talks about the Ottoman Empire and he wants to uh, simultaneously play both sides 
but increasingly after the failed attempt at the coup, he is, seems to be approaching closer to the Islamic world and also the BRICS camp. Okay, now um, let's have a look at the, at the next video. Where In the to past 20 years, Turkey's economy has posted some impressive economic growth figures, causing many to experience rising living standards and providing a base for Erdogan's electoral support. However, from 2018, the strong desire for higher growth caused Erdogan to ignore the advice of economists and pursue a very unorthodox approach to the economy. Rather bizarrely, President Erdogan blamed Turkey's high inflation on high interest rates. He claimed that high interest rates only make people poor. Ignoring advice, he sacked three central bankers and effectively ran the economy by personal diktat. But the economic effect of cutting interest rates at a time of inflation was to predictably further cause inflationary pressures. And as he explained his new economic policy on live TV, it led to an immediate slide in the Turkish lira, once falling 15% during a single TV address. This sharp cut in interest rates, well below the inflation rate, gave Turkey the cheapest borrowing costs of anywhere in the OECD. This led to stronger investment and higher consumption. However, this increase in borrowing and cheaper money only caused a further rise in inflation. And this inflation was devastating for the middle class, with workers shocked to see grocery and energy bills doubling in a short time. To put it into context, Turkey's inflation is like the UK or US's inflation, but at least 10 times worse. The result is that savings are quickly being eroded and wealth evaporates, leaving a trail of uncertainty and confusion. Okay, so basically the narrative about the, the, the election is that some people seem to want Erdogan's more authoritarian style of rule despite the economic uh, in problems, mm -hmm. whereas uh, the other side says that no, the economy is not um, sustainable. We have a very, they have a very high cost of living crisis and they want uh, a, more, a, a different style of management. Okay, now the thing is that uh, it, see, it seems like it, that uh, Erdogan is going to win and uh, it's good to say a bit why that is important because uh, people in the Western camp, let's say, they should be aware of Erdogan's uh, rule and also people in Turkey should just think of what this implies. Okay, so the thing is that if he goes forward and uh, he he does not seems seem to be showing any signs of be, be becoming a bit more sensible. Usually, when people become older, they tend to be more stuck in their ways, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think that in this case there is going to be any change. And the thing is that the, at some point this inflation will become unsustainable. And the problem is that when there is a domestic issue, there is a tendency for po for politicians to externalize the problem. And he has shown signs of aggression in, in various uh, countries. I think Turkey has a military presence in 17 countries. And the thing is that when you have an unstable uh, society and that society has, has a conf inner conflict, the only way to 
say, save this if you don't want to change the structure because you represent it in this case Erdogan does you need to find a common enemy in order to get all these people who are in conflicted sites together now another thing why this is important is because it shows some cracks or the beginnings of some cracks on the on the western camp because after the you know during world the cold war turkey was in nato and they did uh, support the western camp but after the world after cold war they show signs of playing bo both sides and not just uh, russia and uh, and the us but they also try to have their their feet on how, how do we say it? have their feet on both um I'm not sure what phrase you're He's trying, trying to say. He's trying to play both sides. Yeah, that, that let's, certainly Let's put works. it this way. Okay, and the thing is that f it's very important, especially for Europe, because Erdogan is weaponizing immigration migration flows. So very frequently you will see that, he, the, that there are migration flows from Turkey to Europe. During the series of years in uh, Greece, that were 2015 to 2019, the f the country of first reception was Greece because they they weren't interested in guarding the border, but now it seems that uh, with the new government in Greece, they, this has changed and they use Italy as a country of first reception, most of them. But Erdogan is using this many times now. Another thing, if we check the the report of of um, the the U.S. Uh, Department of State, you will see here a summary about uh, rights violations and about the situation in Turkey, and it will give you a good idea of why some people, at least those who are more in favor of Kilizaroglu, are uh, really skeptical of Erdogan and they want his regime to change. Okay, now let's go on the next uh, link. You will see that uh, what Erdogan did was a sort of attack on Christianity in one sense. He turned Hagia uh, Sophia into a mosque. Uh, before it was uh, a museum, but then he turned it into a mosque. And if you go on the next link, please, you'll see that he also uh, leads prayers there. And that was a move that uh, not many people were very happy about. I certainly don't approve of it. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, that historic Christian building. Oh, you're going to turn it into a mosque. Exactly. Uh, I mean, all of the people in the West talking about, oh, colonialism's terrible. What's this? Yes, and you will regularly see human rights uh, advocates in in, in the, the way they see it. They're regularly speaking against Greece and pro-Turkey. You will, and they speak against Greece for guarding the borders. That's ridiculous. You, you can guess. Now, if we go on the next link, please, you will you can re read here how Erdogan is approaching the Muslim Brotherhood, and I'll just read a bit in order for you to understand the. Uh, his appeal. So it says, having dominated Turkish politics since his coming into power in 2003, Erdogan has pursued geopolitical dominance in the region. His ability to ride the waves of Muslim emotions with publicity stunts during and in the aftermath of every major incident of persecution against vulnerable Muslim communities and his characteristic Islamo-populist rhetoric earned him immense popularity among unsuspecting Muslims and even many otherwise discerning pundits for that matter. So he's progr becoming progressively more religious in his politics. Uh, there's an argument to be made that he always was, but his manifestation of it is changing. It's becoming more of a significant guiding light for his political decisions. Yes.
Um, okay, now if we go to the next link, those of you who are interested in uh, the conflicts between um, in the in Christianity and Turkey, you will see the case of Andrew, a pastor Andrew Branson, who was detained in Turkey for many years. This is an old article from 2018. Check it if you want. Now, another thing is that let's go to NATO because uh, Turkey is somehow showing cracks to it within the NATO thing because the main area, air, um, place of the uh, main contested point is that they have bought. A, system, a missile system S four hundred from Russia mm -hmm. that seems to have that seems to violate uh, NATO rules. So let's see here, Senator Bob Menendez talking about it. Uh, Mr. Secretary, you you've been very gracious with your time. I just want to close out on a couple of questions, Please. and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll let you go. Uh, what do you call a country that violates another country's airspace and territorial waters without provocations, drills in its exclusive economic in another country's exclusive economic zone that buys russian military equipment in violation of u.s law that has more lawyers and journalists in jail than almost any other country and jails its main political opponent right before elections in the united states a country that seeks by force to block the rights of a eu country to explore its energy deposits off its outer continental shelf a country that not has only not has joined EU-led sanctions against Russia, but has exported about $800 million worth of goods to Russia. A country that continues airstrikes in Iraq and Syria, including against U.S. partners like the Syrian Democratic Forces, that stops a critical enlargement of NATO, that continues uh, to occupy a EU country with 40,000 troops, and in violation of UN Security Council resolutions, seeks to open up an area that has been frozen by the United Nations, that denies religious freedom to the religious leader of millions of citizens of Greek Orthodox faith, that converts a church into a mosque in violation of its UNESCO commitments, and that arrests and jails US embassy locally employed staff. What do you call such a um, country? I think I would call that uh, a challenging ally well no. uh, i call the country turkey uh and the reality is I, I i don't believe that's such a country and i didn't continue which i could have uh deserves to have f-16 sold to it okay so this sums it up really well now we had another video we won't show it because it's um if you want you can have the link it shows uh, erdogan's guards uh, hitting Kurdish Americans some years ago when uh, Erdogan visited Trump in the mm -hmm. White House. Now, and just uh, if we go in the next link, please, you can have uh, yes, you can have uh, a view on uh, Erdogan's threats to constant threats to Greece. Personally, I don't believe it is just Erdogan. I think it is just it it is the Turkish deep state. But I think there's uh, always been an appetite from uh, the Turks to invade Greece, though, hasn't there? I mean, uh, not just uh, Greece. They. It seems that the Turkish deep state. I'm not talking about the Turkish people, mm -hmm. um, but it seems that the, the Turkish deep state is very belligerent. And uh, you can see here we were on the brink of war with uh, Turkey for three times. Um, we were really close to having a naval battle. And if you check the ne next link, please. Yes, you can see here the 
Oh, I was checking uh, to find uh, sources that are were not Greek, so I was not going to be, let's say, accused of being, uh, let's say, partial. You can see here that in one day, for instance, Turkey escalating aggression against Greece, 90 overflights in one day. You can, I, I, I'm saying that there are thousands of violations of Greek airspace per year. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's tens of thousands. So this is something that Erdogan is doing for a long time now, and these are not signs of accepting allies. So the thing is that if these, this is the way that a country treats its allies, while simultaneously it plays both sides, it seems that Turkey is leaving the Western camp and approaches a more, let's say, the, the BRICS camp and a more um, Eastern, you could say, camp. So the thing is that the people, I don't know if the people of Turkey want this, it's something that they should think of in the next election. Uh, it what is what hangs what depends on the next election is whether Turkey is gonna move further away from the Western camp or not. Thank you very much for watching that segment from the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. And if you want to support our work, make sure to sign up to our website where we have videos like this. This is Contemplations, which is my series, and this is um, episode one two four, How to Think Better, where I look at ways of mitigating cognitive biases. And uh, also, if you want to support um, us on social media, my Twitter is um, Twitter slash Josh Firm. Thank you for watching.